Welcome back to Ryan and Brian's Bible Bistro. I'm Ryan. And I'm Brian. And this is the Bible Bistro, a podcast all about the Bible, theology, and all things related to the Christian faith. Our life, Christian life, faith, whatever. Anything uh, is between. it Christian life? It's, I thought it was Christian faith, faith. Christian faith. Christian faith. Christian faith. You change this all the time. This yes. is why well, I can't keep up. Listen, it's fresh. <laughs> it keeps it fresh to everyone's mind. Uh, you know, curveballs, curveballs. Next, next thing I know, it'll be this is the podcast all about but the Bible theology and things related to the Buddhist faith or something. I yes. Don't know. Hey, you know, let's we'll see if anybody catches it. You know, we'll just, uh-huh. yeah, <laughs> there would be. Yes. Well, we're back. Well, I know nothing about Buddhism, so that uh, well, it's probably a good thing. Just meditate on it; you'll figure it out. <laughs> but um, but I do know folks, a joke. Do, do you? Know a, yeah. That that was Zen, and this is Tao. Oh, I- <laughs> <laughs> That's all, I got. That's all I got about Buddhism. Also, I wanted you to know that we were accused of a Tucker Carlson laugh in this last episode. What? I don't know. I don't know. What does that even mean? I think it was the the the, the verboseness of the laugh. I don't even know uh, what a Tucker Carlson he, laugh. Were you laughing or was it me? I don't know. Probably I, you because I don't I think laugh. it was me. I think I was the one accused I, of this. I don't I even know what it means. They used to, early in my teaching career, there were students who had who said I had a series of different kinds of laughs. They, they, there was one of those machine gun laugh they called, and it made me very insecure, made me very self-conscious, I guess would be the word I would look for. But. My favorite laugh of yours is the snort laugh. <laughs> you hear that very rarely. I hear it very rarely, but when I hear it, it's a sweet sound. Yeah, anyway. Because yeah, that means you really have taken me off, <laughs> off guard. Yes. Well, we're back today, and we're starting yeah. a series. For those yes. who love series, we had a series last season. Or was it last? Yeah. It was last season. We looked at Ephesians, Ephesians, and it took us a while to get through there. But we went through Ephesians that was well received, and we had a lot yeah. of people that went back and listened to this. And we're we, starting we've a been, new series. We've had a couple of requests for for a new series, right? We've had yes. a couple of people saying, "Hey, guys, do a series again." So I think it's simply a way to say, "Ryan, talk less and let Brian talk more." <laughs> That's not true. It's That's not true. true. It's all right. It's all right. I can so handle it. We're gonna we're gonna start this series, and this who knows how long? Then we may never finish this series. But it's uh, it's the book of Daniel. I, I decided to do something Old Testament. I decided to do the book of Daniel, and so we'll talk about that a little bit today. Yeah. But we will be interrupting that series of a, a little ways, you know, a few times along the way for some one-off because we, you know, we want to make everybody happy. That's you know, <laughs> we want to be all things to all people. You know what I'm always saying, Ryan is is give the people what they want. That's what I, you, you've heard me say that a lot. Right? We are showmen. <laughs> Three ring circus here. So yes, well, I'm excited uh, to do Daniel. I don't even know how. I don't even know how. Uh, now I'm bothered. Now I, I just laughed. I'm thinking, is that it? I don't even the know Tucker how Tucker Carlson, Carlson laughed. laughs. Was <laughs> oh, that it? I don't know. I've never, I don't know. <laughs> I inquired and I didn't get an answer. So I, you know, I hate to admit it. I, I, I don't know if I hate to admit it or not, but I don't. I don't. Don't really watch Tucker Carlson. I, I, this is what I'm saying. I don't know what a Tucker Carlson laugh is right. either. I'm not a news. I'm not a news. Well, he's he watcher. got fired, right? Uh, well, who? And he's yeah. he's on X now, which is everybody's on X now. <laughs> That's Twitter. This is not you know similar. the funny thing is the funny thing is I was listening to the news on the radio as I do the other day, and they they were like they didn't even say X. They said the platform formerly known as Twitter. <laughs> it's like Prince, <laughs> exactly. It's going to be a symbol. Yeah. Well, what are you going to say? On X, 
it's it's yeah. weird. On it's X, weird. I but don't know. You should you should listen to less radio. Brian and I were talking. Brian sent me some songs <laughs> recently, and I said, they "Brian, were great songs." I, we'll we'll it, add the, we'll add them in the comment no, section. I told Brian, <laughs> "I love you. You are an amazing teacher. I'm so glad that you're part of my life." But you have terrible taste it, in music. It had more to do. It wasn't. I was saying, "Oh, these are great songs." It had more to do with. First of all, I'm always listening for songs that make reference to the Book of Revelation. And the first song I sent you makes explicit reference to the book of Revelation. The second one was about the apocalypse. I mean, it was really it was really research that I sent them to you for. I thought we it might do research. an episode on them. Research? I And Brian's like, didn't you find this interesting? And my comment was, the music was so terrible, I could not stand to listen to the word. It was not that bad. Anyway, that's what happened. We're real people. Brian sends me terrible music, and I go, but you have some good taste. We've gone to concerts. We have. We've gone to a concert together. <laughs> yes. We and need to you, do that again. We need to do that again. So. But all right, let's get to what the people are yeah. here for. We want to- The series. The series, yeah. Daniel. Tell us about Daniel, because this okay. is this is a book that kind of gets it people- It's a little woo. difficult. So, so here's, the thing. here's the thing about Daniel. So we're going to do kind of introduction to Daniel today, just to talk about- some of the issues, um, I don't know how much we'll get into the text. Oh, we'll do a couple of interesting things, I think, today. So, so stay tuned. <laughs> see, if, see if you can <laughs> see if you can <laughs> see if you can find the interesting nuggets in a sea of garbage. <laughs> Play along at home and see if you can find the interesting things. So <laughs> Daniel's interesting because the first it, it's really divided into two major parts. The first six chapters all are narratives from the life of this person named Daniel. Um by the way, if I say character named Daniel, I started to say character there. That's just because I talk about these things as narrative. And a character doesn't mean the person isn't real. It's just saying that this is the way that it was it was put this in there. Anyway, his name in the story. That's proact that's kind of proactively if I if I fall into that language. But the first six chapters deal with the stories of Daniel's life. And and this is the story of a young man during the time when Babylon came and took the first captives away from Jerusalem in, in the beginning of what we call the Babylonian captivity. And it, it stretches through the stories kind of the, the first six chapters kind of stretch throughout his life until we get to the Medes and the Persians. By the time we get to, to chapter six, the Medes and Persians are in, in charge then. And um, Babylon has already kind of gone from being a, a powerhouse into uh, being destroyed. So it, it covers this whole period of time. I'll say more specific things about that in just a minute. But then the last six chapters, chapter seven through 12. So there's 12 chapters in the book of Daniel, as we have them anyway, chapters one through six, chapter seven through 12. And chapter seven through 12 are a series of visions that take place and are actually dated as we will see in connection with some of these other stories. So, uh, you know, the first six chapters of Daniel's pretty pretty self-explanatory. In fact, if I just ask Ryan here, I'm sure he'll come up with some of those stories. Like mm-hmm. like we even do children's books, right? There's Sunday school lessons on the first six chapters. So what what are some Daniel stories that you can uh, tell There's me? a lion's den. Daniel in the lion's den. We, we have songs, right? Daniel, 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 Daniel in the lion, 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 lion. You know that song? Nope. <laughs> Daniel in the Lions, Daniel. I bet I bet listeners at home are going, I know that song. So. I, listen, I, I may be ignorant. I'm sure I'm, well, I'm, I'm ignorant. Sure you are, but <laughs> <laughs> ignorant just means you don't uh, know I it. I walked right into that one, didn't I? 
So anyway, Daniel in the Lion's Den, which <sighs> some people know the song to, and and what are some other interpreting the dreams? Okay, that's a little lesser known story, but yeah, the and sometimes we'll yeah the interpreting the dreams. What what are some others? Uh, you remember the one about the food? Uh, yes. Okay. <laughs> Yes. We'll deal with that next week. It's when when Daniel and three of his friends oh, are. Oh yes. And, and they're they're the king says eat the food that I put put in front of you, and instead they say, oh no, we're going to eat you know vegetables and and drink water and Daniel fast. Be, they become <laughs> they become healthier and and start a fast food or start a dieting craze. Yeah. Um, and then um, the other one that's that's pretty well known doesn't involve Daniel directly, but his friends. Uh, that we call Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Um, I don't know why we call them by their their names that were given to them in exile, but Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, the fiery furnace, and mm-hmm. the, the the that they will not bow down to this. Um, so these are some of the stories. There's some others. The writing on the wall, which is a little lesser known one, uh, but but these are the stories that, that take place during Daniel's life. Then the the last. Six chapters are really apocalyptic, and we've talked about apocalyptic. In fact, we did an introduction to apocalyptic, but but these are thoroughly apocalyptic visions that that Daniel has dealing with the future. Do you remember some of the characteristics we talked about that apocalyptic has, Ryan? What what are some of the? Uh, it's a direct, like there's a a, a figure that's talking yeah. directly to them. Usually, there's a heavenly guide of some sort, or a divine guide, an angel sometimes, or sometimes it's in the Book of Revelation. Sometimes it's Jesus, right? Mm-hmm. Who, who's who's giving some of this otherworldly knowledge? Okay. Can you think of other other characteristics of apocalyptic? Uh, future. Future, yeah, it deals with the future typically. Um, it's usually very highly symbolic. That's one of the things mm-hmm. that most people notice when, when you read an apocalyptic passage. That's one of the first things you notice. There's a very symbolic language, a lot of numbers, and a lot of um, colors that are used. I, I want to come back to that. I want to give you one example. If I go ahead and look at that now, if you would, Daniel yeah. 9 and uh, 24 through 27, I'll say a couple more things about apocalyptic. So, this guide kind of explains the situation, but it usually takes place. In a situation where God's people find themselves in difficult circumstance, like like being taken into captivity into a foreign oppressing nation, right? Right. And, and what it's trying to do is give the spiritual reality in the midst of what seems to be very difficult physical circumstance. So basically, it's kind of saying, hey, yeah, I know things look bleak and I think no things look bad, but look, God is still at work in the midst of all of this. And so these visions have a really strong character like that. I didn't think you mentioned this uh, earlier, but they're, they're very they're very Christological in nature, too. They, they center on Jesus uh, a lot. Well, you know, we would say Jesus, but the, the coming of the anointed one. In fact, I may look at an example of that. Uh, in just a minute. In fact, when I when I look at this in, in um, chapter nine, and, and so it often then deals with the end of the world. When we use the word apocalypse, uh, like in that song I sent you, you didn't like. When we use the word apocalypse, oh, did they you... talk about that? I couldn't hear it. <laughs> maybe I couldn't you need hear a, it. maybe you need a better audio system. But it, uh, it, I don't think you listened to the whole song. But it it deals with this idea of the end of the world, uh, and that's that's where we get that idea of apocalypse or apocalyptic. But the word itself, apocalypse, I'll remind you, and again, go back and listen to our episode if you want some more detail on this. But but apocalypse has to do with an uncovering, or or our our book Revelation 
it's a it's a translation of of the word from which which we get apocalypse. It's it's the idea of um, uh, apocalypsis to to take the cover off of. In other words, to reveal what is hidden uh, is, is the idea. And Daniel has this this character. So. I preached on this a few few years ago, and I said, you know, if I'm going to preach Daniel, I'm going to preach all 12 chapters, because the first six are, are relatively easy. They're narrative. Um, the last six, there's been a lot of really weird things done with. And, and, a lot and of one ink of those, spilled. <laughs> one of those examples is what I'm going to have Ryan read just now in Daniel chapter 9. So this is where we find symbolic numbers. Uh, and I'll go ahead and tell you, you're, are you reading from the NIV? Is that what you're I using? Am. So there's a, there's a, fra- a reference to sevens. Here, which can also be translated as weeks, uh, the the word that's used for sevens could also be weeks. So you get what I'm saying mm. seven days or yeah. weeks, and so so Danielic weeks become a big deal in in some of these into uh, um, the world kind of schemes. <laughs> yeah. These thoughts. Go ahead, go ahead and read that for yeah. us. Seventy sevens or weeks are decreed for your people and your holy city to finish transgression, to put an end to sin, to atone for wickedness, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to steal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy place. No one understand this. From time, from the time the word goes out to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until the anointed one, the ruler comes. Okay, now, be- now stop for just a minute. So the anointed one, and you can't see this because you guys are listening on, on podcast, but anointed one is capitalized there isn't it mm-hmm. it is okay and, and and what is that what is that word anointed one we've talked about that before what christ. is that christ okay Mashi- this is mashiach in the old testament mashiach in the old testament so this is talking about the one who's been anointed and here he calls him also the ruler so the mm-hmm. this coming king that we call the christ right that we're anticipating so that's that's where that comes in i just want yeah. to go, go ahead and just kind of yeah. go back and and get yeah that so again. no one understand this from the time the word goes out to restore and rebuild jerusalem <laughs> until the the mashiach uh mm-hmm. the ruler comes there will be seven sevens and 62 sevens it will be rebuilt with streets and a trench but in time but in times of trouble but in times of trouble after the 62 sevens the anointed one will be put to death and will have uh and will have nothing. The people of the ruler who will come out will destroy the city and the sanctuary. The end will come like a flood. War will continue until the end, and desolations have been decreed. He will confirm a covenant with many for one seven. In the middle of the seven, he will put an end to sacrifice and offering, and at the temple he will set up an abomination that causes desolation until the end that is decreed is poured out on him. There's a lot happening. Yeah, there's a lot going on there. And we'll talk about that later. But the abomination that brings desolation is the other thing I wanted you to hear there. So this idea of the coming of the anointed one, the Mashiach, the Messiah, we, mm-hmm. we, we would say, or the Christ. Uh, and then we also have this idea that he's going to die and there's going to be this period, um, a seven, a, a week when the ruler is, is this other ruler is going to set up these things and he's going to set up in the temple, the abomination that brings desolation. Now, uh, Daniel talks about this a couple of different times. And then Jesus, you might remember, talks about the abomination that brings desolation. When you see the abomination that brings desolation, then you will know. And, and so this idea is picked up in later times and used as well. Now, here's why I'm mentioning all of this. Is because there's one way to look at the book of Daniel, which is not the way we're going to look at it, but there's one way to look at the book of Daniel that takes these weeks and these numbers that you heard. Numbers are used very symbolically, mm-hmm. not only here, but in other places as well. And and, and these are, they, there's 
people who try to put these into making them years mm-hmm. and, and essentially explaining it's going to be this many years until the coming of Jesus. And then there's these things that are going to happen after this. And they, they try to, to take this, what Jesus says, and what we call the little apocalypse, which we talked about before, um, Luke 24, or I'm sorry, it's Luke 21, isn't it? Well, yes. wherever it is in Luke. And then it's Matthew 24 and Luke 21. Anyway, whatever, wherever it is. And then the uh, book of Revelation. And they try to kind of tie these together in order to come up with this kind of blueprint for what the end of the world is. Well, that's not the way we tend to look at apocalyptic literature. And again, I think uh, I think if you go back and listen to our other thing or hang on and listen to this entire series, then you'll see a little There'll bit be more, more. <laughs> the way we, we deal with the, the, the apocalyptic. So that's what those, those last six chapters are really dealing with. So six chapters on the life of Daniel, six chapters on uh, these visions that he has along the way. Now, one of the more difficult things with Daniel is it's, it's not too difficult, but one of the things we have to talk about is is how do we date this book? Where, where do we place it within within its history? And there's basically two views, more or less. There's some variations of this, but the, the first view I'm going to call the traditional view, and this is basically taking at face value what the book says about its own date. Uh, and for a long period of time <clears throat> throughout both Jewish history and also Christian history, this was this was understood just to be the, the date that Daniel lived at the time where the book says that he lived and that these visions take place when he dates them within his own life, which he does. At the beginning of each of those, uh, there's a date given in, in the way that the, the dates were done. So that's the first view. The other view, and I'll come back to this in a minute, is to see these see see the book of Daniel really written as very very late, so that it would be the very last book written in the Old Testament, hmm. uh, and in fact after what we would normally consider the closing of the Old Testament canon or the end of you know the end of the writings of the New Testament, there are those who would say that it was written more like 250 B.C., and the reason is they think it is written in the in the immediate aftermath of the prophetic things that that Daniel says are going to happen. Okay. So so the other view is that it Daniel didn't write these with a future vision. It was right. it happened and then Daniel was like a re- looking back like oh yeah this is Yeah, whoever authored the book may have made this character Daniel and put a back in a time, but was really writing about the events that had just taken place Gotcha. and, and trying to understand the things in the Maccabees. And we've talked about the Maccabees before, mm-hmm. but this, this period of time where you have these battles between um, the forces of, of righteousness and the forces of evil in, 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 in their mind, the, the, the abomination brings desolation, for example, is a part of this. And so, so, the reason, well, I'll come back to that in a minute. Let, let's talk about the the traditional dating of of the book as well. I mentioned that that Daniel seems to have been a young man, and so I'm gonna I'm gonna guess, and this is uh, you know other commentators I've read have, have taken this. Let's say he's about 15 at the beginning of the book. Okay, something like that, 15 to 20 in that in that range of time. Uh, read then Daniel chapter one. Well, I I got it here. Let me read Daniel I, chapter one okay. verse one. I'll let you read Daniel one twenty one. How's that? Okay, thanks, buddy. <laughs> so here's how the book begins: In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. Now, 
this is the way that dates were done. And, you, you know, if you've read the book of First Kings or First Chronicles or whatever, you've seen this, that dates are often given, they call them rain, rainal dates. They, they basically fit with the reigns of the various kings. Mm-hmm. So here he says, in the third year of the reign of King Jehoiakim, which takes us to right around 605 B.C., now, that's a pretty significant date because it's it's just about that time or just previous to this time that the Babylonian Empire had really established itself by defeating the Egyptians in a, in what's called the Battle of Carchemish. If you look at history, the Babylonians really kind of ascend as the superpower and are able to fight off the Egyptians who during, you know, for, for this period period of time and in this part of the world the egyptians were were very powerful uh, even over the areas we care about judea samaria galilee these areas the egyptians were really reigning during that period of time but the babylonians are able to take superiority in the battle of carchemish which is around 605 bc there's a this is kind of a i'll just mention this briefly i think we've have we talked about habakkuk before I don't think so. The book of Habakkuk takes place right around the same period of time and is dealing with the same kind of issue. Uh, so there's a lot of kind of prophetic literature that arises during this kind of this period of time because you're talking about a major shift. I mean, imagine this. You've got one superpower, the Egyptians, and then you have this this kind of upstart empire that's coming from from the uh, east and and, and defeating who, who was the superpower at that time. You can kind of, you yeah, know, if you put yourself still, in those. In, yeah, in that, it's a, a giant shift in dynamics of the world. Exa- exactly. You can kind of imagine if that kind of thing, if you were living through a period of time when that was taking place, what a, what a significant thing this would be. So the third year of the King of Reign, Jehoiakim, seems to be around 605 B.C. Now you read Daniel chapter 121, which is interesting because at the very beginning of the book, he says he stayed in Babylonian exile all the way till. Yep. And Daniel remained there until the first year of King Cyrus. Okay. So Cyrus is king of the Persians. And mm-hmm. so we find basically from the beginning, from the beginning and the power of the Babylonian empire until the coming, till its fall, the Persians. And I'll go ahead and say that the king that that's mentioned in chapter one, not Jehoiakim, but the other one, the Babylonian king who's mentioned here, Nebuchadnezzar is the most powerful um, emperor, if you want to call him that, or king of the Babylonian empire. Um, And and really Babylon achieves its height of its power under his reign. Nebuchadnezzar is mentioned almost as much as any other foreign leader in the entire Old Testament. Um, You know, he's, he's mentioned a lot here in the book of Daniel. And so, so Nebuchadnezzar is the king um, he comes and besieges it, and and one of the things he does is he takes some of the best and the brightest in Jerusalem into captivity, and it seems like Daniel and three of his friends, and uh, we'll talk about this more um, next week in our series, but his three three friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, all go into exile with him, with Daniel, and so <clears throat> they're all given new names. 
And this is the thing I think is so funny is, is uh, we call them Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, which is the names the Babylonians gave them. But Daniel was given the name Belteshazzar, and we never call him oh, Belteshazzar. He's always Daniel, but the other guys are always uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Anyway, we'll talk more about that next week. So... <clears throat> so that's really the the dates of his of his reign really kind of or of his life I should say really kind of overlap the beginning of the Babylonians all the way till their end. And, uh, and um, what what is that end? Like how long? Well, did look they... at chapter five. This is where I was going with this. Chapter five of the book of Daniel, verse one. We'll have another one of these dating things. Um, one of these things that kind of gives us a date. Well, not kind of gives us a very specific date. Uh, five one is that what you said? Yeah. King Belshazzar gave a great banquet for a thousand of his nobles and drank wine with them. So after, and and we'll talk about this chapter more in detail, but something happens at this banquet you might remember. I do. Uh, <laughs> so uh, Belshazzar succeeded Nebuchadnezzar after after Nebuchadnezzar's death. Belshazzar um, is on the throne. Um, actually, I think evil more. Uh, he, he's not the direct descendant. Evil, I'll have to go back and look at it again. Evil, evil Mordock is the is the direct descendant of Nebuchadnezzar. But after a period of time, not not very long, because there's a couple of assassinations that take place where the kings are only on the throne for <laughs> for maybe three months or something like that. Belshazzar becomes the king. <clears throat> and what happens in this chapter, and we'll talk about it in great detail later on, and I'll, I'll read these other historical accounts of it, which is really interesting, at least to me. But the uh, <laughs> but King Belshazzar was giving this banquet when they were being surrounded by the, the Medes and the Persians, while, while there was an army laying siege to Babylon. And this shows us to the city, to the city of Babylon, this shows us a couple of things. It shows us their arrogance. Uh, they saw themselves really as siege proof. <clears throat> they had a huge walled area that they thought made it possible, <clears throat> excuse me, possible for them to fend off any siege. And they also had a river that flowed underneath the walls. So they had all the fresh water they needed, which is one of the, that's the first problem when you're, when a, an army lays siege to you. Uh, you might remember Hezekiah, Built the tunnel in yep. Jerusalem for that same for that same issue. They they needed to get to the spring, uh, bring it inside the walls so that they were siege proof that they could right. have fresh water even if there was an army surrounding them and they couldn't go out uh, to the spring to get water. And, and so so this is what's you know this is what's taking place. And this very night, and and Daniel gives us a couple of the details. He brings out some of the instruments that had been taken from the temple when Nebuchadnezzar sacked the temple. Uh, in fact, that's mentioned in chapter one of Daniel as well, but he takes some of these and he uses them in his feast. And that very night, the, the, the writings on the wall, literally that's where we get that phrase. Uh -huh. A hand writes on the wall, these words, many, many tickle parson, which we'll talk about later. And, uh, and he is found, lacking that very night and and the empire's ripped away from him because the Medes and the Persians are successful. Now, I can give you an exact date on this. That's October the 12th, <laughs> 539 BC, <clears throat> which is an interesting interesting idea. This is mentioned by the person that we call the father of history named Herodotus. This event is mentioned by him and it's also mentioned by a later 
someone who takes up the the history where where his history le- leaves off named Xenophon and Xenophon mentions it as well. Now Xenophon's probably Quoting. at least part yeah, partially dependent on Herodotus, but but um both of them make a reference to this to this very feast and the things that happened that very night, which is interesting. Uh, and when we get to chapter five, I'll read from those, and and I just find it historically just just fascinating. So that's um, October twelfth, five thirty nine. Now there's one more date that's given that's a little bit later than that, and I mentioned that even these. Um, even these visions are given dates in connection with with um, um, D- Daniel's life. Um, so, for example, chapter seven, verse one says, "In the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel had a dream." So, when Belshazzar uh, uh, arises to the throne of Babylon, then he has this vision. Uh, chapter eight, um, verse one: "In the third year of King Belshazzar." Daniel has a vision. So <clears throat> so he's able to date these visions again in connection with who is who's on the throne at the time or who's king at the time. The very last one of these is chapter 10 verse 1. Uh, so go ahead and read that. Go ahead and read one uh, verse 1 there. Yeah, in the 3rd year of Cyrus king of Persia, a revelation was given to Daniel, who was called Belteshazzar. Its message was true, and it concerned a great war. The understanding of the message came to him in a vision. And then chapters 10, 11, and 12 uh, of the book of Daniel really deal with this vision. And it's it's a vision. The interesting thing, I'll go ahead and, and give away the ending now. That vision really goes from Daniel's present time to the coming of the kingdom of God. It really covers that whole period of time. And I'll say that that theme of the kingdom of God is coming uh, despite what it looks like, God's people are in captivity and, and Jerusalem's gone, the temple's destroyed and all this, that God's kingdom is coming is kind of the central theme to really the book of Daniel. So from from the uh, third year, and it's interesting, both of these are third years, from the third year of Jehoiakim until the third year of Cyrus is the span of, of um, Daniel's life. And the third year of Cyrus is 536 B.C., so if, if you're keeping track from 605 to 536 BC is almost exactly 70 years from the beginning uh, of, of Daniel chapter one <clears throat> until Daniel chapter 10. So this book covers a span of about 70 years. Okay. Now, if you go back <laughs> and you think, okay, how old was Daniel then when he was taken into captivity? You know, if he man. was- if he 15. was 15, if he was 20, you know, he'd be somewhere between 85 to 90 years old by the time that these these uh, final visions take place. Gotcha. Uh, and even Daniel and Lions did. We'll, we'll talk about that a little bit more because it's dated according to, to um, the reign of one of the kings as well. So he seems to have lived really a life that, that covers this whole span of time. Uh-huh. And, uh, and, and really, as I mentioned, again, goes from Babylon taking the God's people into the Israelites into captivity up through um, the Medes and the Persians and really Ezra chapter one, them being allowed to return uh, from exile, the 70 years that Jeremiah had prophesied, for example, in, in this period of time that they'd be in exile. So I'll leave any questions or comments on that. That's, no, that's so, the traditional so, view. So that's the traditional view. So yeah. we have, we're using intertextual kind of stuff, knowing yeah. from outside, uh, 
outside historians that based upon what the text says right. these are the dates that that we should go by but that that's the traditional view of of the book yeah and jehoiakim we can even look at the end of second kings and you find jehoiakim being talked about in the last few chapters there which a lot of that dating takes place from we can pretty pretty accurately date the the founding of the temple in Solomon's day, and and we can count backwards from there. But yeah, Herodotus and Xenophon also give us these these kind of corroborating uh, dates as well. Now the other view is post Maccabean that that Daniel was really not written until 250 BC, and so after a lot of the events that he supposedly prophesies, and I'll say that initially this this became an issue when we get into the modern age and there are people who, who don't believe in predictive prophecy. So for the majority of the history, both of the church, with one exception, there's a, there is a, um, um, one writer in the second century that writes a treatise against Christians and he calls into question the dating of Daniel. But, but other than, than that one book, um, I'm trying to remember his name, uh, it starts with a P-Y, but I can't remember the rest of it. It's not Pythagoras, um, for all you who are shouting that in the audience. Um, but <laughs> but anyway, he, he, he wrote against Christians and, and suggested that Daniel was written later. But until the modern period then, pretty much the traditional view was held by everybody except for him. When we get to a period where people can no longer believe in predictive prophecy, we're going to see that some of these prophecies are become take place in exactly the way that Daniel says. And and for some people that just becomes too much. They can't they can't, can't handle fathom. that. Right. There's certain uh, presuppositions that don't allow Exactly. Them to, which we've to, talked we've talked about before, right? This this idea of the the secular, you know, the coming right. into a place where we can no longer believe in the supernatural. Um there there are also then some linguistic issues that go along with it because there's parts of the book of Daniel that are written in Aramaic and we'll talk a little bit about that uh, a little bit later than kind of a Hebrew dialect. Uh, and there's even a few Persian and even a few Greek loan words that are used in 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 Daniel, and this this isn't the reason people began to doubt Daniel. But after people began to doubt the predicted prophecy, they said, "Oh, but look, there's these other anachronisms uh-huh. um, that that take place in the book that can't that you know that basically show that there's there's inaccuracy." So you you have basically these two views. Uh, one of them is the traditional view, and the other is basically saying, well, because I can't believe in predictive prophecy, then I have to think this is someone writing after the Maccabean period talking about the events that had just recently taken place, 250 B.C. or so. So is that, that part yeah. clear so, so far? Yeah, we get, the, we get the two views here. Now, the interesting thing with that, though, is the Dead Sea Scrolls. <laughs> So the Dead Sea Scrolls are, are super interesting for a number of different reasons. They really kind of changed a lot for how we think about things, didn't they? They, they absolutely did. And I, I, know I, I know I've said a lot about that before, uh, but our view of the Gospel of John, I've mentioned, of course, I'm, you know, John's something I think about every once in a while, but the Gospel of John, our understanding of it completely changed after the coming of the Dead Sea Scrolls. Uh, it was seen as... And again, I've covered this ground before, but just just briefly, it was seen as primarily a Greek Greek thought 
laying behind the Gospel of John. But then in these clearly Jewish writings before the time of Jesus, um, there was this idea of a, a dualism, light and darkness, this kind of thing. Not a platonic dualism, but a, but a dualism. And, and so people began to realize, well, John may fit better in this background. And so, yeah, it completely changed. Um, John E.T. Robinson wrote just a few years after the Dead Sea Scrolls and probably because of them, uh, and protect, particularly because of the scroll uh, of the, the wharves of the Sons of, Lights and Son of, Sons of Light and Sons of Darkness, um, wrote what's called a new look on the fourth gospel, which basically says that he's much closer to the things that are being purported than, than uh, we previously thought. Anyway, that's kind of, a, that's kind of an aside. Just don't pay attention to that. Is that, that was, was that an interesting <laughs> nugget that they had to find? No, I don't know about that. I, I that would, that one's probably interesting only to me, but, but here's the, here's the, here is the interesting nugget. Are you ready? Everybody, I'm ready. Everybody get your, get your pins out and, and this kind of thing. Uh, the Dead Sea Scrolls were discovered in uh, near the Dead Sea in an area we now call Qumran because we found there's a community of people who live there out in the desert. They were kind of an apocalyptic community. They separated themselves from mainstream society. They took um, the Old Testament laws very seriously and a particular interpretation of the Old Testament laws very seriously. <clears throat> they... Um, lived in a communal lifestyle and and basically saw themselves as the only pure and only true uh, keepers of these things. So the Dead Sea Scrolls were discovered in, in 1949, 1950, right around that period of time. And um, they are the, basically when the Roman conquest came through in 70 AD, they sealed up a lot of these things and and they had been preserved in, in jars in caves ever since. And uh, so they they were the earliest manuscripts that we had ever had of almost every book of the Old Testament. Now, here's what's interesting for our purposes. They were they are written. Some of them, the earliest ones are written around 200 hmm. B.C. OK. And, and so there are eight um, scrolls or eight, eight. I should say eight manuscripts, eight partial uh, manuscripts of the book of Daniel that have been found among the Dead Sea Scrolls. And none of these are complete. You realize they're, they're kind of fragmentary and this kind of mm -hmm. thing. But every chapter in the book of Daniel has been accounted for except for chapter 12. And, and that, that just kind of makes sense because whenever you have the end of a scroll is usually the thing to, to, to tear. To, to be the first one to go. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, it'd be one thing if it was the first six chapters of Daniel, because I didn't mention this view, but one view uh, of this is that, well, the first six chapters may have been historical, <laughs> but then there's a post-Maccabean person who put these quote-unquote visions in Daniel's mouth a after that. And so that's one particular view. But what's really interesting, it's not just the first six chapters, but we have every chapter other than chapter 12 that are represented in these in these texts one of them is written in a script that that seems to be second century hebrew hmm. now here's what's fascinating about this and we have to kind of think about this a little bit that would mean that this community had to have adopted and made not one but but you know a significant number of copies of this scroll and considered it a part of their 
library, right? Mm-hmm. In Qumran, a lot of and, and a lot of questions about what is considered canonical or non-canonical. Um, and I'll say I'll say just one more thing about that in a minute that may or may not be interesting. But but uh, the uh, the idea is that within fifty years of the original writing of this, then the view has to be that it has become widely enough known and has become important enough to these people. Uh, a community which probably started in, in, uh, in uh, even closer to the period of time of the writing. Um, uh, and while 50 years sounds like a lot to us <laughs> in modern times, well, 50 years yeah. it, it, during, I mean, you correct me if I'm wrong, like it might sound a lot, to, but like for a community that is a written oral community. And for or, it to be considered con- to be considered authoritative that quickly and that widely known mm-hmm. is is very very unlikely um, is the way I would put it. Right. So just you know we have to kind of remove ourselves from that because if something happens sure. in modern world today we can hear about it. Well, I mean we don't believe things that happened yesterday, but <laughs> well, that's, <laughs> that's a different issue. That's a whole that's a whole epistemology conversation. But right. if something happens. We can yeah. get information about it, and we can Very everyone quickly. can start evaluating it's it. I mean, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's disseminated. But, I said yeah, disseminated. But, but disseminated. If, but in the ancient world, if something started somewhere, it takes time for it to to grow and to spread in the community, and then also not just to become known, but to become authoritative right. in the community. Exactly, and that that to me is the key. It's not just you know this isn't just a new book. It doesn't seem. I, I didn't mean to say this earlier. One interesting thing about Daniel as well is it is in the third section of the of the Old Testament writings. If you remember, we talked about this before. There's the Torah, which is very, you know, set. That's the five books of Moses. There are the prophets, and it doesn't occur among the prophets. And we've even talked about before the former prophets and the latter prophets. Mm-hmm. Uh, the former prophets include things like Samuel and Kings and, and Chronicles. Um, but then there is also this section of the Old Testament canon called the, um, the writings, writings, and it's among the writings, uh, which, is, again, and now it, I do think it is later, right, than, than some of the other things that we have, but it's not among the Book of the Twelve. Um, but we put it, we place it according to its size after the uh, other three major prophets that we have. And so we put it um, – at the end of you know Isaiah Jeremiah and those uh, and Ezekiel, but but anyway the 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 point I was going to get at with this is I I do think it's very unlikely that that quickly it would have not only become widely known but would have also become authoritative within this community. There are also some references to Daniel as a prophet uh, in, in other writings as well that lend credibility to the to this idea that this is this is a genuine book and so mm-hmm. i think we should we should take it as such a genuine book genuinely dated yeah gen- yeah traditionally dated right and yeah yeah, yeah absolutely yeah and, that, and one that we can i think we can trust to to be what it seems to be what it claims to be yeah mm-hmm. well that's really important as we as you know as we jump into any book and this is one thing that sure. you and i've always talked about is like understand and i think we talked about this during worldview it's not only when are you in the world like it's so understanding when is daniel in the world what's he experiencing and what what's that context that helps us understand Mm -hmm. the meaning and purpose of these of these statements it is it is pretty amazing and again we'll see this when we get into the not so much the first six chapters but by the time we get into the vision chapters there are some amazing 
statements that he makes. But even even in chapter two, even among the the story, like you mentioned, the dream, interpreting Nebuchadnezzar's dream, um, you see <clears throat> some very specific historical events that take place far in the future that uh, God seems to be giving him insight to. And that is, I've always said, if I wrote a book on this, <clears throat> I would call it, there is a God in heaven, because that's Daniel's reply to Nebuchadnezzar when he says, can you interpret these things for me? And he says, no, I can't, but there is a God in heaven who mm. uh, reveals mysteries. So, Yeah, well, that's great. Well, that's all I got for today. And then we'll jump into chapter one, I guess, yeah. next week. Yeah, it was good. Something happened before then. Yeah, so. do, you have, do you, Brian, do you have any recommendations like as books or anything like on the book of Daniel as we kind of jump into this? I'll, I'll bring I'll bring a couple next week. <clears throat> I have a friend who's who's written a pretty good book on the book of Daniel. I'll mention him next week, and, and I'll Excellent. give you a couple of other right. references. Well, keep an eye out for those resources. And uh, as I mentioned a while back, I'm working on the website, so hopefully we're going to have a section where you can, if if you're interested in any of the books, that you can pick up those resources from our website, and we get a small cut from that as well. But same price, just buy it from Amazon, but <laughs> we get a little something. Uh, but anyway, yeah, we're gonna. I'm going to start trying to put some of those resources together so you can go to our website and, and find that as well. So, Brian? Thanks so much for kind of yeah. giving us this overview of Daniel. I really Thank appreciate you. it. I'm excited about this uh, series. It's going to be... Yeah, share it. Let people know we're going to yeah. be talking about Daniel. I mean, the first, as you said, the first six chapters are pretty tame, narrative, story-driven. <laughs> and then it's put on the seatbelts and we get we get the fun stuff, huh? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. excellent. The All right, well, mirror. Yeah, well, if you're enjoying the podcast, share it. Uh, you go to our website. If you are... Uh, appreciate the work we're doing you can go in the upper right hand corner click to support us uh you can become a patron for ours and you can get a coffee cup t-shirt all the swag um or just share we'd appreciate uh you sharing if you think uh those in your church if or your small group or anything that would be would find it interesting share it along with them as well all right all right brian thanks I so much it. and we'll uh see you next tuesday see ya bye bye